Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Wow, okay, it is surreal being here. It, it is. I just want to say thank you so much for having me, and uh, it really is an honor to be here, and uh, I have nothing but mad love and respect for Justin and Jennifer. I love the Rhymers so much. They're dear friends of mine. And to watch the dream come to life in this city, and the dream is actually you, to see lives changed and to see what you're doing here in building that's so diverse and so unique. And the generations are represented here, and so many different nations are represented here, and so many different stories, and every story matters. I think heaven is a wonderful mosaic of, of, of God's story <laughs> represented each and every one of us. And I see a glimpse of heaven here in this room. And I've been cheering on Vivid Church from afar for so long. So this is a, I'm trying not to be giddy right now, but I am. It's like even in, in through worship, I'm looking, if you saw me looking at you, I'm not a weirdo, I promise. I'm just taking in what God has already done so far here in this place. And to be a small part of that today and to get to meet you really is an honor. It means so, so much to me. So thank you. Uh, thank you to Justin and Jennifer for being such great friends. And really thank you to you. Thank you for opening your heart. To, to listen to my story a bit today, to hear the word, is not, is not something I take lightly. So right. thank you. Thank you so much. And, and before we jump into the message today, I really believe that for so many of us that this is going to be a pivotal moment. And I felt that even just at the beginning of the day. Like the presence of God is here in this place. And the presence of God is more than music. It's more than lights. It's more than a certain song that all of a sudden, boom, now the presence of God is here. The presence of God is this great mystery, but he's, he's here. He's present. And he loves us so dearly that he wants to speak to every single one of us. I feel that so strongly here in this place today. And so I, I want us to pray that that we would lean in and hear everything that heaven would speak to us today. And wherever we are, whatever we're facing, whatever season of life we're in, whatever problem we can't solve right now, whatever it is, the deep desires and longings of our heart, I believe that God can speak to every single one of them through one message because he's so good like that. He's so powerful like that. He's so supernatural like that. So I, I want to pray and invite you with faith and an open heart today, regardless of where you are in your journey of faith, to be open to the possibility yeah. that God would speak to yeah. you and that you could leave different than when you came in, right? So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're here in our midst. Thank you that you're so good. Your love is so great. Thank you that your love is so deep. It's an endless well. And I pray that we would experience your love up close and personal here today, that we wouldn't just hear some good thoughts, <laughs> that we wouldn't just go, oh, that was kind of fun. That was inspirational. That made me feel a little bit good for the week or the day but something so much greater, God, that, that we would have such an encounter with your love and your presence here that it marks us way beyond this time, that it messes with us in all the right ways. We need you, Jesus. We yearn for you, and we thank you that you are the hope that we need and that your love truly transforms. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Well, I, uh, I live in New York City. I didn't always live in New York City. I lived in LA for a number of years. And I remember in my early 20s, I actually lived in Brentwood, California. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. Brentwood, California, yeah. And, uh, and it was a nice spot. 
Good weather, awesome. And I had a roommate, I loved her dearly. How many of you live in the roommate life? Anybody here can relate to that? Okay, well, or you did at some point in your life. Yeah. It's wonderful and also the struggle is real, right? So I, I had a roommate, I loved her, we were good friends. But sadly, we did not agree on one thing and this was movie selections. We had very different ideas of what made a good movie and certainly different ideas about what movies were worth watching once, let alone repeatedly. And she went through what I like to call movie obsessions, okay? She wouldn't just watch the same movie like two or three times in a row, she would get on these kicks and she would watch the same movie 10 to 12 times in a row. No joke. I could just come home and know this is what's going to be playing today and the next day and the day after that. And it was, it was wonderful. And, uh, and again, sadly, we didn't have the same idea of what made for good movies. And so um, I remember she went through a walk to remember phase, uh, which is something I'm still trying to forget. And, um, and then she she went through this phase where she watched uh, Center Stage for a long time. I don't know if you know, it's like a dance movie, yeah, throwback way back in the way. That was, it was rough. And, uh, and then she parked for a while on this Moulin Rouge kick. Like, I don't know if any of you have seen it. She just loved that movie. If you love that movie, God bless you. I don't. I, I didn't understand it. I think we should talk to each other, not sing our thoughts to each other. I'm just not that kind of person. But uh, I, I, she loved this movie. And so I would hear the, the lines from this movie again and again on repeat in my home. And there was one line that continued to keep standing out to me, and it was this. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and be loved in return. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and be loved. The greatest thing you'll ever, I mean, it was on repeat. I heard it so many times. It is like woven into the fabric of my memories from my early 20s. Uh, but I think that that line stood out the most to me. Because that line is both affirming and perplexing. Like, yeah, I think, I think we can all acknowledge that the great pursuit of the human experience is to know love and to give love. Like, this is the noble pursuit that has been written about and sung about throughout the ages. And yet, that statement still begs the question, okay, but what is love? Because people do a lot of things in the name of love. And people exchange wedding vows in the name of love. And they also break them in the name of love. And people pursue a career in the name of love, and then they leave it all behind in the name of love. And people reconcile in the name of love, and they also go to war in the name of love. And people help the hurting in the name of love, but they also stay with the abuser in the name of love. So the word love gets thrown around a lot. We like the idea of it, but we're not quite sure what it means. And where does this leave us? I mean, to be clear, we, we, we all want love, but we want the good kind, right? right? The kind that doesn't hurt us or others, the kind that doesn't leave a trail of heartbreak and regret, the kind that we can hold on to, depend on. This is so deeply woven, this desire within us, that it has been something that has been yearned for for centuries since the beginning of time, thousands and thousands of years ago. Psalmist David, in the Old Testament, he writes about this burning desire for the good kind of love. And this is what he says in Psalm 103, verse 11. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. His unfailing love. Did you catch that? His unfailing love. Unfailing love. That's what we want. That's the kind that we're looking for. That, that's the kind of love that we are hoping for as kids trying to make sense of our place in the world. Well, that's the kind of love that we're on the lookout for when we're deciding who to, you know, settle down with. Yep. That's, that's the kind of love we want to give to our own children. That's the kind of love that we want to stand up for and fight for in this world. And yes, this is the kind of love that we often aspire to but fail to tend to sh uh, fall short of, right? Mm -hmm. The unfailing right. kind. Yep. Unfailing love. 
And here in Psalm 103, King David, he lets us know a very sobering truth in the Old Testament, something that we cannot deny when we have a conversation about love, that unfailing love is found in God and God alone. I mean, here we are just coming off of a series about relationships. And as we explore relationships, we have to acknowledge the fact that as good as relationships get, there will always be something lacking. At times, the love between a husband and wife will fall short. The love between lovers will at times disappoint. The love between friends will not always be enough. The love that a parent gives to a child sometimes will be a little lacking. The love of work will not always be reciprocated. Hello? The love of self will at times falter. It is only the love of God that is truly unfailing. And all other great loves are birthed out of his unfailing love. It's this love. It's this love that's it's not only worth exploring here today with the time that we have. It's worth opening our hearts to. It's worth building our lives upon. It's his unfailing love that is the greatest adventure of the human soul. It is the continually most catalytic experience of the human life. So wherever we are in our journey of faith, today let's open our minds and open our hearts and ask the question, what is this unfailing love that God offers? There's many things we could say, but perhaps we should start with one of the most basics, which is this, his unfailing love is deeply personal. It's deeply personal. Now, I remember, I, I, uh, you know, growing up, I had moments in church, but I didn't really grow up in a very religious family. Like, we went to church. We were, we were Catholic, but that's kind of because, like, in our culture, you're Mexican, you're Catholic. That's, that's what we did. So we went to church a few times a year. And, uh, or, you know, if, if it was like a really bad week, maybe it was like, okay, let's get ourselves together and go to church. But that was like three or four times, and that was it in a given, in a given uh, year. And I remember my parents at a very, very, like from the time I was really young, they had an emphasis on education for us. And so for my sister and I, uh, they decided to save every nickel and dime they could. And they saved up to, to send us to private school. In the US, that's a better form of education depending on what city that you live in. And so, so in our city, that was the best route. And so they saved up and they sent us to private Catholic school. So it was there in that environment growing up that that I remember every morning for school assembly, we would pray the Our Father. And once a week, we would attend Catholic Mass together. And, and once a week, we would sit down in religion class. So I knew the name of Jesus very well. But the person of Jesus eluded me. And I remember as a little girl having this moment, so to see, like, I never forget it. I was sitting in Mass, Catholic Mass. I was sitting in one of these, this, this old, beautiful kind of cathedral building. And I was sitting there. This is part of school. And I can't remember what the priest was saying, but I was dozing off or staring off or, I don't know, distracted. But I I remember making eye contact with this thin, frail man hanging from this bronze cross, this statue. And I remember looking at him and feeling nothing. I remember feeling guilty for feeling absolutely nothing. I mean, after all, this is the son of God who is dying for my sins, I should be feeling something and yet I feel nothing. And it was in that moment that I decided, I concluded, okay, God's real, I I believe in the existence of God. I can't deny that when I look around me and I look at life, somebody had to create this. But I don't think he's very personal. Like he's real. But our lives seem so infinitely separated, so completely our reality, so 
distant and different from each other. That in this life, God must have very little concern for me, and therefore I will have very little concern for him. Which is a really sad thought, but it's a sobering one, and it's a realistic one. Because, you know, how could the creator of the universe have time for little old me? And even if he did suddenly pay attention to me, I wasn't sure I wanted it. After all, it was my sins that put him up there on that cross, right? The only problem was I actually needed someone's attention. I I was a little girl growing up in an alcoholic home. My dad was drinking all the time. He was a functional alcoholic, but he was very much an alcoholic. And there was fighting and there was abuse. And my sister and I, we, we constantly felt like we were walking on eggshells to try to make everybody happy and keep everybody at peace. And and I felt like there was nobody who was noticing me. I really needed somebody to notice me, but nobody was. And I was starting to realize that in this life, the only person that I could really depend on, the only person I could count on, the only person who could take care of me was me. What was happening was I was a little girl who was quickly losing her innocence and there was nothing I could do to stop it. Then one summer when I was 12 years old, I got invited to go to this church camp with a church in Tucson, Arizona called Grace Chapel. And I wanted to go because my friends were going. And for a few days, it could just be a break, break from the drama. I could just be a kid. I could just hang out with my friends, you know? And so I was so excited to go. And and, and I I asked my mom again, can I go? Can I go? I even prayed. I didn't really normally pray, but I was like, God, if you're real, can I go? And it was just to hang with my friends, you know? And then I'm being able to go to this camp. And I remember one of the nights of this kid's church camp, 12 years old, we, we got together in this small chapel space, which is uh, it, smaller than this room and um, definitely had all the smells from, you know, kids gathered together in small spaces. I do remember the smell. The smell was real. And, uh, and, and I remember it was in the middle of like a, a, an environment like this, like a worship service that they would have. So during the day, they'd have activities, and then at night, they'd gather for these evening chapels. And I remember in the middle of this, there was singing, and there was a, a praise and worship team like we had earlier, and they were singing songs. Now, can we give it up for the praise team here? Because they are very good and anointed at what they do. I am really grateful. That was some amazing worship this morning. But can I tell you, I did not have that experience when I was 12 at that chapel. I mean, I'm tone deaf. If I can tell something's off, it is really off, all right? So this was some bad music. And I'm, and I'm looking around. Thanks, babe. I appreciate that. And I was looking around, and I remember going, like, why is everybody into this? Like, I don't get it. Like, these are lame songs. They don't make any sense. I don't understand any of the lyrics. Nobody sounds good. Like, have they, have they ever heard of the radio? Like, there's new songs that we could be singing. Like, this is all the things I'm thinking. But all of a sudden, in the middle of this environment, in the middle of just a worship song, for the first time in my life, I became aware of the presence of God. I became aware of the presence of God. And instantly I knew two things. I knew that God loved me, and I knew that he had a plan for my life. Now, for some of you, that might sound elementary, something that you've heard in an environment like this thousands of times before, but for me, it was revolutionary. Like in that moment, I felt singled out by perfect love. I felt seen, I felt heard, and not just by anybody, but by God himself. What happened is I went from seeing Jesus as this historical figure hanging on a cross to a God who infinitely loved me, who cared about me, who saw me, who noticed me, who rescued me. The love of God became real for me the moment I let it become personal. In Romans, the Passion Translation, Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says this. It describes God's love this way. It says, for when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. 
Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. My world was rocked the moment that I realized this was written about me. Like, I was the one who was lost and ungodly. I was the one who was too weak and powerless and helpless to save myself. Christ demonstrate God's passionate love for me. Yes, he did it for all mankind, but he also did it for me. You know, St. Augustine puts it this way. He says that God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Have you ever heard the expression, it's, it's not personal, it's just business? I hate that expression. Like, what does that even mean, you know, when you're saying that to somebody? But you have to know with God, the opposite is always true. His love is never just business. It's always personal. Which is good because we yearn for something that is personal, don't we? Like, we all want to be seen and heard and known and accepted and loved in a deeply personal way. We all want somebody to really see us. And instead of run away, see us fully and tell us, you matter. And if we don't want that, and we find ourselves hiding and avoiding people and covering up and guarding every part of our hearts and our lives, it's not because we don't want that. Hiding in the shadows is the survival instinct of a broken heart, but it is not the natural desire of the human heart. Right. It only means wow. shame has done a number on us. That's so good. Deep within every single one of us wow. is this yearning to be loved and seen in a very personal way. And truthfully, no one can always fully see us, right? or hear us or know us. I mean, it's not like somebody's following us 24 seven, you know, taking notes on everything we say and do. And I, for one, am praising Jesus that nobody can read my thoughts in my mind. You know what I mean? Like, thank you, Jesus, some things should stay hidden, right? There are parts of us that will always remain a mystery to the people even closest to us, with one exception. God sees us. God hears us. Not just some of the time, but all of the time. And because he created time and does not exist within the confines of time, he knows us for all of time. He knows our first breath and our last one and everyone in between. He knows our days and our hours and our minutes and our seconds. He doesn't just know our thoughts. He knows the very origin of our thoughts. He knows our mind and can read it like the back of his hand. I mean, we wake up in the morning sometimes and we struggle to make sense of our dreams and remember them like, ah, I think you were in the dream. I don't know. It was weird. There was a dog and there was pizza. I don't know. You like, we try, but God knows them all by heart. Like we speak and we expose pieces of our heart to other people. But before we even open our mouth to say a word, he already knows everything we're going to say because all of our heart has already been laid bare before him and knowing us better than anyone can ever know us, knowing us better than we will ever know ourselves. He put his love on the line for us on the cross. It will always be personal. His love is always deeply personal for you. Think about this. God's greatest desire is the same as humanity's. Connection. Jesus didn't die on a cross to build a religion. He died on a cross to restore a broken connection to establish relationship once again with humanity and with you. I mean, God's detail, his obsession really with the details of our every lives, it reveals that we are his most prized possessions, that we are the great joy for which he endured the cross. So I don't know 
what you're longing for in this room. I don't know what problems you need solved. I don't know what questions you need answered. I don't know the deep burning desires. I don't know the yearning. I don't know the frustrations. I don't know the hopes. I don't know the dreams. I don't know where you are. I don't know the intricate details of your life or your heart, but I do know that God does. He sees you. He hears you. And all you need to do to be open to a personal radical love that God has for you is simply believe it and accept it. And so I hope you do. I hope you do either for the first time here today or I hope you do once again. I hope you let the love of God get personal for you. Because for Jesus, it has always been personal and it always will be. The cross is proof of that. The love of God is deeply personal. It's also unconditional. Think about that for a minute. Unconditional. This is hard for us to understand because we live in a world where not many things are unconditional, right? I mean, the paycheck we receive is largely in part of the quality of work we do. The quality of friendships we have in life is largely due to the amount of investment we're willing to make in those friendships, you know? Like the, the, the blossoming romance continues to blossom because each party continued to appear charming and likable enough to keep pursuing. Like even when it comes to the influence of social media, your followers is largely in part because of how much of an investment and filters and Photoshop and planning you put into your feed, right? Most aspects of life has taught us Listen, you perform and then you are compensated appropriately. Now, to make it even more confusing, this idea of unconditional love is our own personal experiences, right? I mean, unconditional love, it, it feels more like a fantasy than reality to the woman whose husband just left her for a younger woman or to a sibling who always felt compared to another sibling growing up or to an overachiever who only feels noticed when they're being applauded for work well done or to a guy whose girlfriend just dumped him because he just didn't, you know, have everything that she was looking for or the list goes on and on and on, right? It kind of just got real in this room, didn't it? (laughs) Because we all have very real experiences. Mine included an alcoholic father who struggled with issues of control and anger in the home growing up. Now, I have to say, I am incredibly proud of my dad because decades ago, my father opened his heart to let the love of God get deeply personal, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's been sober for 25 years now. He has become this generous, loving, kind, wise man, devoted to his family, devoted to God. I, I gotta say, I'm so proud of the man that my dad has dared to and struggled to become, because sometimes it's a struggle, right? But in a lot of ways, the dad that I know now and the relationship I have with my father now is very different than the dad I knew when I was a kid. You know, it it was confusing. I knew that my dad loved me on some level, but it felt like it came with a lot of conditions. And it felt like I was always trying to do whatever I could to make everybody happy in the home and keep everybody at peace, so maybe there'd be some extra left over to notice me, right? And so then when I became a Christian and a follower of Jesus, it's not like those experiences magically disappeared. You know, some of us have this idea, like we we have this experience with Christ and then we think, great, now everything's wonderful and perfect and and roses and unicorns and rainbows. And we quickly discover it's not because our life has still been lived. Those things happened. 
And so I, I struggled to make sense of the fact that, okay, how could God love me unconditionally? I mean, in my own home, if I felt like I had to perform to get noticed, like, then how could I possibly accept the creator of everything who is perfect and holy, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, to just accept me for me and not what I bring to the relationship, right? And it wasn't until a few years into following Jesus that the Holy Spirit led me as I was reading in my Bible to this particular passage and it opened my eyes to what unconditional love truly, truly looks like. In Matthew, Jesus makes this promise to us. He says, do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child to ask for food a plate of rocks instead? Or when asked for a piece of fish, what parent would offer his child a snake instead? If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? Now, notice what this verse didn't say. It didn't say, give to those who perform religiously, to those who behave nicely, to those who make everybody happy around them, to those who, who perform spiritually superior to the rest, to those who've learned all the Christian lingo, to those who memorize the right verses, to those who always raise their hand for every song, to those who take notes in a sermon. No, it says, to those who simply ask. The love of God is not transactional. His commitment to us doesn't go like this. It's not like, hey, you love me and then I'll love you in return. Like, you, you perform well, and then I'll call you mine. You, you, you appease all of my moral obligations that I oppose upon you, and then I'm going to love you. No. No, God loves us. His love is unconditional because his love is not based on what we do or not do. His love is based on who he is. And we can learn from God's word exactly who God is. First John says this. We know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in his love. God is love. God is love. Let's be real. We could spend a lifetime just parking here and continue to be filled by that revelation. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Listen, God is love. It's not just what he offers, it's who he is. And nothing we can do, good or bad, can ever alter who God is, which means there will never be a shortage of God's love in our lives. On. Our, our sin doesn't weaken his love. Our failures don't weaken his love. Our mistakes don't weaken his love. Our heartbreaks don't weaken his love. Our circumstances don't weaken his love. Nothing in this world can weaken his love. I mean, if Christ died for us while we were still sinners, why would we ever think that our behavior or that our circumstances could somehow uh, lessen God's affection towards us? I mean, think about this. If we spend our entire lifetime running from God, rejecting him, hating him, angry at him, throwing a certain finger at him, come on. We could go our whole lives this way and still, for all eternity, he would love us. For all eternity, he will love us. And some of you go, how can you believe that? How can you believe that God is truly unconditional? Whoa, what happened? Oh, 
Is that worth, is that expensive? Should we deal with that? Y'all are being very kind and polite. I love Canada, you're so kind. In America, people be like, get that, get that guitar back up here. No. Uh, think about this. We could go our entire lives rejecting God, and still he would love us, and you'd say, how is that possible? How could you believe in a God of unconditional love and believe in a place called hell? Okay, well, let's think about this. If unconditional love is truly unconditional, then it can never be forced. And so if we choose our entire lives to reject God, then he would not force us into an eternity of worshiping him because that would not be love. Then heaven itself would become hell to the unbelieving. And if you think about it in its simplest form, hell is a place completely separate from the rule and reign of God. And if we choose to live our entire lives rejecting God's rule and reign, then God in his love would not force us into an eternity of anything else. Make no mistake about it, God is a God of unconditional love, which means his love will never be revoked in our lives. So think about this. We will never be loved more than we are in this moment. You will never be loved more by God than right now. You just love perfectly, completely, right where you are. And when you have a revelation of that and a deep understanding of that, that's where things begin to change. The need to people please starts to weaken. The power of shame and guilt in our lives begins to melt away. The, The need to always perform and look for approval to see how we're doing suddenly no longer has the weight and oppression over our lives that it once did because now we're living in the reality that we are just always completely and perfectly loved just as we are right where we are. So hear this, and I hope today that we hear it, not just here, but we hear it here. You are loved completely just as you are. No need to perform. No need to prove anything. No need to compare. You are loved. You've always been loved with perfect love, whether or not you've known it. In this moment, you are loved completely, and for all eternity, you will be loved perfectly. And once again, all we need to do to experience this unconditional love is simply open our hearts to accept it, to believe it and accept it. God's love is deeply personal. It's Unconditional, And there's one last thing that is worth noting before we end our conversation today around this concept of his unfailing love, and it's this. His unfailing love changes us. It changes us. I have yet to meet a person that when I talk to them, they go, everything in my life is perfect, and I have no requests. Like, nothing. I don't want to change anything about my life. I don't want to change anything about my parents. I don't want to change anything about my paycheck. I don't want to change anything about my family. I don't want to change anything about politics. No, it's it just that, that, that doesn't exist, right? We always want some kind of change. We want good change, but we want change, right? But in reality, programs alone don't change us. Willpower alone doesn't change us, right? The right book or the right podcast alone doesn't change us. The right song doesn't change us. The right paycheck doesn't change us. It's only the love of God that truly transforms us. If we're not careful, we can begin to see our faith as more of like a behavior modification tool and actually this journey of heart transformation that it was always meant to be, you know? So we start to believe like, I'm going to get my dose on Sunday 
And then it's going to be like that jump start for me to do better this week. I'm going to do good. I'm going to do better. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to improve the external behavior of my life. And that is what's going to make me good. Right. But that kind of thinking is like taking an old car with a really old engine and giving it a new paint job and thinking it's a new car. It, it, might, it might look new on the outside, but it still has the same malfunctions, the same mileage, the same engine, right? And when it comes to the love of God, the love of God is the only thing that can actually change the engine of our lives, our hearts, right? And so without this revelation, without this understanding, what happens, we come to Sunday like, good word, good word. You know, we always sit there, we're like, we're ready. I'm ready. Today, I'm ready. You know, I'm focused. It's a new season. It's a new month. It's about to be Thanksgiving. Like, this is it. This is a marker. Like, this is going to be great. You know, so we, we even bought a notebook. We showed up. We're ready to take notes. Like, this is our moment, you know? We were like, we're going to go further. We're going to raise our hands. We're going to do whatever. We're going to sing louder. Like, we're going to stick around and meet people. Like, this is our moment. Like, I'm going to do better. And then you hear the word and you're like, that was so good. That was just for me. I got what I need. I got my points. I got my notes. This week is going to be so different. And then Monday rolls around and we hit the snooze button four times. And we're like, oh, there goes my time in the Bible today. I was going to try. I really, I signed up for a version reading plan. This was going to be my week. And I already missed day one, you know? And we're like, well, I guess the day's ruined. I'll try again Tuesday. And then Tuesday comes around and we have this interaction with our coworker. And we're like, why is this coworker in my life? Like, seriously, you, you are not giving me life right now. And instead of responding with this Christian attitude or tone, we say something nasty. We say something passive aggressive. We smile afterwards, so then it's okay. But we definitely said something that wasn't nice, right? So we do this and then we're like, oh, I guess that's rough. You know, that was bad. And then on Wednesday, you know, we have a, a really frustrating day and in interaction. We look at our bank account. It's not what we want it to be. And so we're like, uh, Ugh, this is so frustrating. And instead of going, God, I trust you. You're my provider. We're like freaking out. We're doing the math. Do we need to go live with our parents again? Like, what are we going to do? And then Thursday rolls around and then Friday rolls around and Friday, we're like really frustrated. And that thing we said we were never going to look at online. All of a sudden we're opening our computers and we're engaged again because it just makes us feel for a moment. And then we're like, oh man, God's so mad at me. And then Saturday rolls around and, and, and we did some things that we weren't supposed to do. But then Sunday rolls around. And now instead of walking in with my journal and I'm ready, we're like crawling into church like okay I got here and I made it okay you better have a word for me pastor like it needs to speak to me today because you don't know what kind of week I had like I need you without this I don't know if I can make it and this becomes the cycle and this is the extent of our Christian life because we believed falsely that the reason that we gathered here was to get some good tips on better living instead of to open our hearts and our lives to the love of God that changes us way more than on a Sunday. So on Monday, when we oversleep, we're able to go, okay, God, your love is real for me. And before I start this day, I'm going to open my heart to the revelation once again that you love me. In fact, I'm going to read one verse, and it might be five minutes, it might be 20 minutes, I might have one minute, but I'm going to seek you today with what I've got right now, and I'm going to have a new, fresh experience with your love. And then when we're tempted over here, instead of going to that temptation and going, man, I guess this Christian behavior thing doesn't work, instead we lean into the presence of God, and we say, God, I need you right now in this moment. I'm not running from you. I'm not hiding my addiction. I'm running to you right now because I need a fresh revelation of your love. There's something within me that is causing me to go to this instead of go to you, and only you can fix it, so show me and heal me. This is the kind of life that we are meant to live, where we're continually having this experience with the love of God. So I pray, and my, my deepest hope for every single one of us is that we truly would overcome in every area of our lives. Truly. 
I pray that every generational curse would be broken over your life with you, with your generation. I pray that every addiction that has held you back no longer holds you back and you become an advocate for others and a voice of God's grace for other people. I pray that all the dreams and your desires that God has placed within you, that you see them fulfilled in your lifetime. I pray that you live a radical life, but I pray it's transformed by God's love that it's fueled every day by God's love. And in the moments when you mess up, because let's be real, we all do, that we wouldn't let shame sabotage our spiritual maturity. Instead, we would lean into the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, that causes us to step into new beginnings each and every day. I want to pray for us very quickly, and I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I don't know what's happening with the lights, but I kind of like the move that we're in. So we're going to go with it. But I do want us to pray. You know, during worship, as down here, and we were singing the songs, I was so aware, just so aware in that moment, like, God loves you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, he loves you so much. And hopefully you leave with a deeper revelation, even if it's this much more of how much God loves you, and that would be worth it. That'd be worth a trip for me coming here. And I also got this picture of a wall. I did in worship. I got this picture that there's a lot of people and it feels like a wall up between you and God. And some of you don't even know how to vocalize it. Some of you don't vocalize it because you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to vocalize it in church. Everybody else seems to be having this really great experience with God. So if I say that I have a wall right now, there must be something wrong with me. But there's a wall. And, and you want to have something that is deeply personal with God. But it feels like you can't go beyond Sunday to have something more. And for some of you, I really believe that this message was like a wrecking ball coming in and destroying that wall. So some of those thoughts and some of the thinking and some of the experiences and some of just the lies that the the enemy, the wicked one, Satan, who is very real but defeated, he would try to sell us about who we are and what God's love is like. They're coming, crumbling down. And today you could experience something so personal that's not just a one-off, but becomes a catalyst for something new for you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, that you could wake up every day yearning to know more of God's unfailing love and know that it's for you, that it's personal and unconditional and transformative for you. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.